Okay, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando up here on the Smith River in the beautiful state of Jefferson here on the border of California and Oregon. Alpha Vedic is an off-grid health co-op and farm. We grow herbs, Jiao Gulan being our main crop for our immortality teas. You can find us at alphavedic.com. We do this every Thursday at 10 a.m. on dlive.com. TV forward slash Alpha Vedic. So if you're listening as a podcast, please join us next week. And uh, we're here every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you, of course, can find this on YouTube, on iTunes, and everywhere podcasts are distributed. So we're so happy to have you today. And today is going to be a great topic, something close to my heart. As we dive into Crypto 3.0 for dummies, we have John McAfee joining us at the top of the hour. And today we are fortunate enough to have Cordal co-founder, or really the guy who made it all happen, Croetic, is with us today. Um, and as we move into the new post-COVID reality, the war on cash has become increasingly apparent as businesses and governments make the move to ban it for daily commerce. The new digital money of the future can go in many directions, and we know cryptocurrencies will play a major role in that. Is this a good or a bad thing? Uh, with companies like Google and Facebook vying for blockchain dominance while Bitcoin and others stand for sovereignty, what really is the truth? Well, we'll navigate this topic with, with Jason today, with Croetic and, uh, you know, from the Cordal Blockchain Project, as well as John McAfee, as I said. We'll go deep into the world of crypto and blockchain to clear up any of this confusion and hopefully give you guys a, a little bit clearer idea of where to go with this, uh, what to adopt, what you know? What you can do to empower yourselves to protect your wealth, and really, as I'm seeing it, uh, embrace this technology for the soft revolution that we need to get us back in charge of our lives, of our money, of our wealth, and really to fund um, the projects and things that we find, um, you know, that we're passionate about. And, uh, you know, really kind of, we know the centralized powers really rely upon fiat money. So herein lies the question, um, is crypto good or bad? How's it going today, Dr. Lando? Hey, I'm doing great. So, uh, Crow, thanks a lot for being with us again today, buddy. Uh, looking forward to learning a little bit. I certainly need it. Uh, I get to be the dummy on today's panel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, here's why, you know, way back uh, when Bitcoin was first launching, I got clued into it and I checked it out and I thought, ah, you know, I didn't really get it too much, but intuitively I thought there might be something there and it was eight bucks and, and I thought, ah, I'm going to drop 10K on that. And then a week or whatever later, I, I checked back, it was up to 14. And I thought, ah, shit, I missed a boat on that one. So uh, that's my experience with crypto and, uh, you know, why I shouldn't be uh, uh, in your company today. But I might ask a couple dumb questions, but I'm going to be the fly on the wall. Dumb questions and, and, are the ones uh, that everyone's going to ask. So those are the good ones to ask. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, so I might have a couple. And, uh, but thanks again for being here. And uh, I'll let you guys take it away. Well, yeah, and, and Croetic, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, it's been a pleasure. I've worked with 
with Crow for a number of years now, a number of projects. And the point of today is I want to give a quick little just outline of where crypto came from for those that are really new to it. Because, you know, we're a health and wellness podcast, but we know uh, obviously your financial uh, setup and, and sovereignty plays a massive role in our ability to be free, which plays even a bigger role in our ability to maintain uh, a healthy terrain and, and um, you know, enjoy our lives because really the point is happiness and, and, and health. So... I want to give a quick little background for those who just have no idea what block what the idea of blockchain and cryptocurrency means. And then yeah. we won't spend too much time on this, but I think it's important to give some context. And then um, we're calling this crypto 3.0 because really that's where I'm seeing uh, this project Cordal, which Jason and I are in full disclosure here. I am a co-founder in this project, uh, even though I've been, you know, I haven't been deep in the trenches of the code base like Jason and, and the devs have. My role is kind of more doing this kind of stuff, but, and also, you know, helping this is with really necessary stuff. So it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, but I do feel like I've got a good grasp and, and concept of the, of the sphere. So um, I'm hoping that we can kind of clear up any misunderstandings in this community. When I say this community, kind of like the more truther health, alternative health community, because a lot of times I hear from um, people who are very bright and, and, and understand a lot of things say that, you know, uh, blockchain is going to be used as the new kind of one world currency to, to rule the world and it's evil and we got to go back to gold and silver and hard monies. And while in many ways I respect that and I've done my fair share of, of stacking silver and gold, um, you know, we're moving into a digital world whether people like it or not. Um, so let's decentralize it because let's be honest, we're on a digital platform right now and it's very empowering. It's allowing us to have a conversation and reach, you know, millions of people in our chat right now. So, yeah, um, I, I mean, what was I going to say? I mean, I think it's, there's, there's a couple different ways that blockchain can go. Right. And it really depends more on who is behind the project than, uh, you know, Okay, so when, when, when blockchain started, when Bitcoin started, the idea behind it, right, the idea behind it that Satoshi created was to decentralize the control over, uh, in this case, the financial system, because Bitcoin's only a coin, right? So blockchain technology was the, the thing that was new. It's the only new invention in a really long time, actually. Uh, all other new inventions are just like reinventing old inventions, so they're not really new. Uh, but this is a new concept that brought something that could actually do uh, this decentralized concept overall. So uh, all it really is is a database and it's a decentralized one that everyone shares and everyone can verify on their own individually so that you can have uh, no central uh, control over it. It's, it's a decentralized uh, protocol that allows for a database to be viewed by everybody basically. So yeah. Uh, and, and the main thing that Satoshi Nakamoto was really solving was this idea of a double spend problem. So the idea was, this was around the 2008 fallout where uh, banks were overly leveraged. There was a lot of centraliz centralization in terms of um, uh, these financial markets and, and really, you know, the, the debt bubble. And we saw that after the collapse and a lot of people were hurt, what happened? These, these guys were bailed out by government, which then in turn came around. They used that money to then put that back into paying off and lobbying these same people who paid them to maintain the and system. And lobbying shouldn't even be legal to begin with, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, because no. that, that, that right there is scam. Like, I don't know why they don't see it, but I do. I don't know. 
Yeah, with you there, and I'm sure Bear would agree with that. Um, uh, yeah. So, anyways, the point was how do we how do we un, how do we get the money off out of the hands of these these criminals, right? These crony capitalists. And so, there's this brilliant idea of turning email like making e- like the ability to email each other P to P, person to person funds, and 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 allowing for a direct decentralized person to person sending of digital money. And now the problem with that is let's say I have $5 of digital money that we create. We, we, we have an idea. Okay, well, th- this has value. What's to stop me from emailing you that $5 and then at the same time emailing Bear that $5? And how do we check that in a way that doesn't have a centralized authority that says, okay, well, I'm going to be the guy that says you only already sent that to Crow, so you're not allowed to send that to Bear. So it's called. So we double- took away the control from the banks when they have their centralized uh, database where they keep track of all the transactions, and we distributed that out to everyone. And that was right. the original concept. Satoshi wanted everyone to use their home computer to mine, and to mine is to secure the network. So the miners were supposed to be everyone, but what happened was is smart people developers got together and said well we can make this algorithm run better on a graphics card so they put it on a graphics card and it run faster that way then yeah. they decided to develop an application specific integrated circuit uh, asic and that uh, ran it a lot faster for less power usage so now we're to the point where you buy a box like this and that's the only way that you can mine on the bitcoin network otherwise your hash rate on your computer and your graphics cards is now nowhere near what it needs to be to keep up Okay. So, okay. Okay. So let's let's slow down here. Let's yeah. back up. Let's let's cover what mining is. So with the double spin problem, um, let's really quick just go over what the blockchain. So what you said, you 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 explained blockchain really well. That it's a ledger that uses a database to validate and that all transactions through a decentralized mechanism by literally stacking blocks. Blocks. All they all a block is is a specific defined amount of digital space. So for Bitcoin, it's what, how many megabytes again? Is it a 10 megabytes? Uh, I, I forget what Bitcoins okay. is, but it's a, it's a set amount of bytes that can be in each uh, given block, which is a transaction on the network. So every 10 minutes on the Bitcoin chain, a block happens, and that's the only time when transactions actually take place. So all the transactions that have occurred during that time get solidified when that block takes place. And the blockchain cannot go backwards. So once that block happens, it's done, right? All those Correct. transactions before that are then secured. And as, as the blockchain continues, every transaction behind it is then secured more uh, because the, the cryptographic hashing that's going on is actually building a chain from one solved problem to the next. Yes. And that's so a huge, huge yeah. aspect to it is that what's beautiful about this and why it's so brilliant, Baron, this is something I think you'll easily understand is that it's using a hashing algorithm, which is just a cryptographic type of technology, so that it's based on every block. So if you were to try to go back and change a previous block, let's say you know a year ago, you would then have to spend all the computer power to also change all the other blocks. So it makes it very difficult to go back and do a double spend and change, let's say you, let's say you sent someone a million dollars in Bitcoin for a house, last year and now you think you have enough computers to do the mining and we'll cover what the mining all the mining is it's just computers that are doing the mathematical problems to solve what they call a hash which is just um it's the the mining work to to figure out 
how to, to uh, basically process a transaction. It's called proof of work. You're taking one number, uh, which is the Bitcoin difficulty, which goes up and down based on how many users are actually mining, and you're hashing it together with another number and you're coming out with a solution. The person who gets the highest solution wins the block and secures it into the chain. And so there's 10 minutes of battling for that. And, and so then once that's done, the, the, um, the impetus for doing that, of course, is you win a reward for doing that. And so because so you're running the network, right? You're the ones who are actually doing the transaction processing. So you're like Visa, right? If you're a miner, you are a node on the Visa network, basically. And everything you're doing is trying to process the transactions that are taking place on that network. It's the same idea, except it's distributed out so that anybody can be a processor on the network. So that there's no more payment processors. Now, everybody's a payment processor. If you're a miner, you're processing payments. That's what yeah. you're doing. And you get paid for that. And the block says that every end of the block, there's a new creation of coins of this amount. And then there's the transaction fees that have taken place in the block. And all of that, plus the new coins coming in, are distributed out to every miner based on how much work that they've put in to solve the problem. Yes. And it's a really a brilliant, brilliant idea because it takes in uh, traditional kind of free market ideas of competition, um, the use of energy. I mean, there's just it's just such a miraculous white paper and if anybody hasn't read the bitcoin white paper by satoshi nakamoto i mean it's a must read it i really haven't is. even read it honestly <laughs> wow that's horrendous funny. Like, I, like, I, i'm not the type to really sit and read things i kind of yeah, like I, to build I, stuff more I than read. i get that um yeah. but anyway <laughs> anyways it's it's you know and there's a lot of theories on who that is and that's a whole other um conversation and i think it's just a group of uh cypherpunks or, you know, that are right. that are my other theories. We talked about this in the other show. And by the way, we've done a whole entire other AlphaCast last fall that was specifically geared towards Cordal, which is the project that uh, that uh, Croetic has been spearheading. And we'll touch on that today, of course, and where that's at now. But if you want to get a deep dive into that, please go back and listen to that. That was last November about... Um, where we, we went over a lot of this and we, I think we talked about Satoshi Nakamoto. So that being said, so you made a great point about when Bitcoin started in 2008, 2009, 2010, people were running, it was very decentralized because people were running these mining rigs on their own computers in their basement. Right. And, um, and as that, um, that competition increased, as more and more people were catching on because there was an economic incentive to do so, as consensus started to reach out and define that there was some value to these little Bitcoins people were earning by mining. And there's the famous story of the guy who you know, bought pizza, two pizzas. Pizza, with, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and it, was, it was like 26,000 Bitcoin or something for the pizza. I can't remember now, but it was a ridiculous amount now. And the story goes that if he hadn't done that, Bitcoin in 2017 would have been like worth like 100,000 or something crazy. Um, <laughs> but, but that being said, um, you make a, and I want to relate this because this is going to play in later to the internet. So let me backtrack real quick. The internet which came back in the early 90s, which is when these cypherpunks were also really nerding out on, on crypto, cryptography and really developing what would become Bitcoin. The internet back in the day, because I had friends that were mega nerds. I was a mega nerd. I was an AD&D guy and, and all that. Um, I remember my friend, like in 92 or something, uh, 1990, had an, his own ISP and he had his own server, Sean McCarty. Shout out to Sean McCarty. 
and he had set up, you know, one of those boards. It looked like a little castle or whatever. And um, that was the internet. Like you could get your own ISP, you build your own server out, and you literally are running your own node on the internet. You could create your own email. Uh, yep. You know, you just had those protocols. All the internet is are protocols. This was before the big launch of AOL and the, and the internet service provider. You were your own internet service provider when it started. And that's internet how it needs is, to go back. <laughs> correct. So fast forward to today. Let me give a quick fast forward. So then as that grew, AOL, they, they needed services for adoption, right? We're seeing this in crypto right now. So the idea is that AOL, CompuServe, all these companies came out to allow people to, to easily, more easily access this amazing new revolution of technology fast forward more now companies need to be on the internet because you had to serve you had to have a you know in 2.0 web 2.0 came out you needed to have a website so that you could then uh do business and so most companies at that time had server farms in their own location to serve their company and then the cloud came out the yeah. cloud really revolutionized the ease ability to spin up a virtual ser uh, private server revolutionized because that's then putting the the power back into the hands of the big companies, right? Yes. So, which I'm getting to right now. So then what that did is it, it, it made it easier for, you know, people to use it, but what it's slowly doing is it's corporatizing this amazing uh, decentralized uh, protocol. That's the internet protocol. And so now fast forward today, AWS services, which is Amazon's cloud service is like 75% of all hosting across the world. Um, Facebook and Amazon are really responsible for a great majority of the internet traffic. So what we're seeing now with the internet is a complete consolidation of power with hosting. And this is going to play yep. later into what Cordal is all about, of course. So we've seen the same thing happening with crypto now. So to backtrack uh, again, because we're just trying to give everybody some really good foundation here with crypto. So we had these guys that were, you know, I don't know if you were one of the early adopters. I knew some people who were mining really I was early. Not. Um, okay. I got introduced to it in 2013. So, okay. So I actually knew about it before you. Wow. Um, yeah, and you I, <laughs> I kicked myself because, you know, someone who was following and I know bear too, libertarian, you know, like back then now more maybe anarch. I don't know what I am now. I don't like to put myself in a box, but I was listening to a lot of these alternative, you know, um, uh, channels that were like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and and somewhat tech savvy myself. I knew about it in probably 2010, and uh, I was still I was gonna like start mining it, and then like Bear, I was just kind of like, oh, I'll get to it, and uh, I kind of just was busy, and I just kind of, you know, I think I was like setting up a mining rig even, and I just kind of like lost track, and I was just busy partying and stuff. <laughs> getting married and doing all that. So anyways, um, but my point is people, I knew people who were mining even back then. And it was really just a fun hobby thing. And then as the consensus built and people started seeing value in it, um, we started seeing what we called mining farms develop and pools. And the idea was people started pooling in their, their computing power to have a better chance of winning blocks. And so Which getting ironically is anti-decentralized. Exactly. Exactly. So fast forward now to today, we have these massive pools with these massive server farms, just like the cloud, just like what happened to the internet, where these mining operations, which are mostly in China, are now running the Bitcoin mining Bitcoin core. Um, and so 
with Bitcoin, we do have some centralization issues, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit. I'm still a fan of Bitcoin, um, but we do have some centralization issues with it now. And this is something I'm going to ask John McAfee at the top of the hour if he has concerns about this, because I know he's been kind of bashing Bitcoin myself, his, himself. So and it's not even really bashing Bitcoin. It's more like realizing that there were some flaws with the initial concept that there were some really good ideas there but at the same time there were some flaws and to just you know if we could get rid of those uh, then we're in a better place and that's yeah. kind of what cordal was about yeah. sure uh, uh bear do you have any questions as of right now is this kind of making sense i know you're a really bright person i know you're not so as deep into the blockchain but i'm hoping you know for you this is all making sense no, this is good this time. You know, our last uh, one was good, but it was a little bit over my head. It was a little more mm -hmm. technical. I'm learning a lot with this one. So I'm just kind of trying to absorb as much as I can. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really a dinosaur with this stuff because, you know, my grandparents, I'm a product of uh, immigrants, you know, and they came over here to escape uh, fascism and they made good in the country and collected gold, wouldn't give it up in 35 when they're collecting it. Nice. So I... I kind of have that ingrained in my bones, you know, just stashing gold and silver. And if I can't have it in my hands, it's I not real. That's a good idea. And <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but you know, then again, I'm, I'm really open-minded and, and I think, uh, you know, carrying gold around is kind of archaic as well. So I'm, I'm really into this and you know, my issue now is okay. I have, I already missed a boat. Can I, somebody like me still get in? Uh, is this yes. really the way things are going? And, uh, you know, those are the questions. I just need more information to know how, how to do it intelligently. Right. Um, so if yeah, I can interject just ahead. for one second, like, sure. that's another thing that when we were building Cordal, uh, we were thinking about, right? Because you, there can't really be a, a feeling of, oh, I missed the boat if you didn't get in early. That really can't be that much of a thing, right? So with Cordal, what we've done is – We've eliminated the uh, total cap on the coins so that there is instead of a cap, there's a cap on how many new coins will be created each, each uh, whatever period, right? Because there's no time on the blockchain. It's all in blocks. So however many blocks that represent a year, uh, you can then adjust the rate at which uh, the new coins are, are created. So there's no uh like fear that you're not going to be able to get any if you become a mentor on the network and help secure the network then you will always be able to earn something and there will always be new coins coming in that people can then spend on the various services on the network and so forth so i wanted to get rid of the idea that you have to get in early and i like the idea of a cap for certain types of assets like bitcoin will become basically digital gold and that's fine because if there's a limited amount then it's going to have more more intrinsic value and people are going to you know it's going to mess with people's heads and it's going to you know make the value go up higher and there's less and there's more money going in the value has to go up higher so it makes sense for an asset like that where you're going to be holding on to it but for an asset like cordal where you're going to be using it all the time to run services and it's necessary for these services it doesn't make sense to me to then limit how many coins will be created there should always be new ones coming in to make those services always be used what yeah what we're talking about is deflationary versus inflationary in a way right so bitcoin is capped at 21 million coins um and so what that does is it really defines the the value as if in that idea if there was like a certain amount of gold on the planet which there is 
And so um, that's that idea of a, of, a, of a way to have a value metric that is um, deflationary so that it becomes more and more valuable, whereas, you know, so you're not going to want to spend it because you want to hold on to it. And that's not really great for a currency. And, and that's one reason why I say I don't really see Bitcoin as a currency, to be honest. No, that's value. why I just say it, it's a value store. It's a place yeah. where you can, you can hold your money like gold. Yeah. And, and that is part of being a currency. There's three aspects to being a currency. It needs to be a mode of transaction. It needs to be a unit of, of, of value or unit of measurement. And it needs to be a store of value, I guess, according to the, you know, if you go to economic school. Right. But, but for me, it's like, you know, what is a currency in the modern era? And for me, the currency in the modern era needs to be fast. It needs to be uh, in a way, um, uh, it needs to be able to uh, be spent, you know, in, in other words, in a way, I almost like an inflationary idea because it, uh, and I hate to like give a little bit of credence to the Keynesians out there, but it, they do have a good point in terms of the idea of wanting to spend money. Now, I don't think you need to do that with debt. I think you do that with, uh, with abundance. And so the idea right. with Cordal, what I love about Cordal is that if you just come in and we'll, we'll give a quick explanation of what Cordal is in a second. But if you come in and support the network by running a node, you can then over time, as you prove yourself, start what we call minting and literally earning coin. That's an equal share across the entire network. So you're not competing like Bitcoin to grab those well, coins. It's equal shares in each level tier. Each level. So, yeah. so as you level up, you also earn more because you've proven yourself for a longer period of time. Uh, so it starts out at a 5% that's split between levels one and level two. Then level three and level four, you get put into a new reward tier, uh, and that is 10% that's split between all the level three and level four people. And of course, as you level up, uh, the time it takes to level up also increases, which time in, on the blockchain, as we discussed, is in blocks. So however many blocks you're proving yourself online, you're a legitimate node, you're not trying to do anything stupid, uh, you prove yourself, uh, you get counted as online. And so those blocks continue to tick up as you're online. And as that goes by, your level increases, your influence increases, your reward increases, and the amount of blocks that you actually secure into the network, which doesn't matter for reward in our case, which it does in Bitcoin, but it doesn't here, um, it, that also increases. So the security of the network is driven by the people who have proven themselves legitimate for a longer period of time. And in the beginning, it matters more uh, that the founders, the people who start the platform, obviously don't have negative intent for it, uh, are the ones who secure more blocks into the chain. So in the beginning, the founders are weighted at as if they were level 10 as far as finding blocks. So the founders will find more blocks than more people, uh, but it doesn't matter as far as reward goes. So the people shouldn't care who finds the block. That's only for security of the chain. So we've separated those two things as well in our platform where Bitcoin has kept them together, right? So here's a paradox. There's a paradox with decentralization when you're launching a chain is that if you just came out decentralized right out of the bat, you would potentially have massive security risks, right? Because there's a lot of scammers. Bad actors could bad get act involved bad and, and actors. try to, you know, cause problems if they had and, an influential. And so those that, you know, are saying this is a, you know, and, and to back up, to back up with to Bitcoin real quick. So, the way the Bitcoin, you know, um, has decentralized, as we explained, is the mining. 
and, and also, you know, we talked about this in the, the other podcast is the idea of running a full node on Bitcoin, which is very rare. There's only like, I think, 10,000 full nodes in the world right. running Bitcoin. Can you explain the problem with that? Yes. And why? Because you're not incentivized to run a node on Bitcoin. You're incentivized right. to mine, which takes now a lot of power, which also has a lot of issues with that. Which and in order to mine now, you do not need to be a full node. You just need to be able to talk to one. So that's why when you're mining, you don't have to sync the chain. Correct. All you have to do is point to a pool, which has a synced copy of the chain already, and they perform the verification that you've done the work, and they then say, okay, you've won. And so there's also room there for pools to scam people and for people to not even realize it. They could skim money off the top, and people wouldn't even know. Right. So you have to really trust the pool. And that's where it comes back to. It's not decentralized. Sure, there's a bunch of different pools and so forth, but it's still it's not as decentralized as it could be. So yeah. in our case, we decided that, look, what's the most important thing on the network? It's a full node. Right. The full nodes are the ones who have a copy. Explain, of explain full node. OK, so a full node on the network just means that you're any device, any computer that has a full copy of the blockchain, which you would think. Well, shouldn't everyone have a full copy of the blockchain? That's the whole idea is to be able to individually verify, right? But no, it's gone back to centralizing those who have full copies of the blockchain, which nonsense, right? Well, and, and all, in all, in all fairness, in all, size of the chain, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, in all fair, you're getting to an all fairness for adopt. We're at the point now where the ecosystem's so big that everyone's really concerned about adoption, right? And and making blockchain work because that's the big negative with blockchain is that you know to get it you have to get a wallet and you have to download and and the problem with blockchain that a lot of you know, projects have been really working hard to try to fix with different scaling options using lattice stuff and different types of blockchains, side chains, et cetera, is that as you stack these, these bytes, it gets longer and longer to hold all that. So for instance, the Bitcoin blockchain is what, like almost 400 gigs now or something. So I don't know. last time I installed it, it was 250 gigs, but that was a while back. No, I it's like 400 to... now. Yeah, so it doesn't surprise me. 400 gigabytes you know, while we have, uh, I forgot the name of the law, as, as we scale out, it gets, you know, easier and easier to hold the, um, you know, uh, space on like, for instance, your hard drives now. I remember, you know, 10 right. years space ago getting, getting smaller and, and easier. Yeah. And you get a, a hard drive back in the day, a gigabyte hard drive was like $300. Now you get, uh, you know, now you're, that's a joke. Like you can help hold that. I saw the your, other day, you can get a terabyte or a two terabyte SSD for something like $120. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but my point, my point of bringing that up and, and hopefully not losing people here is that the problem with uh, the adoption of blockchain, like for mobile, for instance, you can't put, you can't put 300 gigs of a blockchain on your phone. It just doesn't work that way. So, and I, this is what we worked on and trying to make this work. So we have to we have to measure we have to balance out the centralization versus decentralization for adoption that's kind of where i'm going to get with the 2.0 that happened that evolution with ethereum and stuff which we'll get to in a second and that's beyond and also the beauty of blockchain but my point is with your saying is that what's scary about bitcoin that miners aren't running full nodes is the fact that most of those pools now are based in china china is an authoritarian government that it, it, if they really wanted to, it's over 75%, I believe, of all pools are in, are in China's server farm, in mining farms. 
if, and I was getting into this on Twitter yesterday with some people who didn't believe me, but you know, a 50, so let's explain what a 51% attack on the network is with Bitcoin and explain why this can be dangerous. Now I've heard without getting too off the cusp here, I've heard that a 51% attack really can't do much because of the way the blockchain hashes work. It would, uh, right. how, however, however, there are a lot of problems with it. And I'll just say, I'll explain what I think a 51% attack is. Uh, basically, the way uh, the blockchain is secured on Bitcoin is that with these mining, with the mining, uh, it would take over 50% of someone mining everything to be able to change uh, to, to change the, um, uh, the next block or, well, maybe you can explain this a little better than I. So essentially they're measuring the hash rate, total hash rate of the network, which a hash rate is just how fast you're hashing the algorithm, right? So if you have over half, if you have 51% or more of the hash rate of the network, you could potentially, uh, secure multiple blocks in a row right? If you can secure multiple blocks in a row, then you can make modifications to those blocks and then secure them yourself. And the chain's going to agree with you because you're the biggest one on there, right? But because of uh, the power is still relatively decentralized, right? It would take uh, a bunch of these big mining pools getting together and making an agreement to attack the chain uh, in order for this to even be able to take place. So I agree that it's not very likely and it probably won't ever happen. But The potential for it to happen is something that you should get rid of anyways, right? But anyways, well, I will say this. All you can do with it is is potentially modify one or two blocks and which you think, oh yeah, that's that's not a big deal, but it could be a big deal if you're talking about moving a huge amount of money within those one or two blocks, then yeah, you've doubled a couple million dollars or whatever, then but that's all they can really do. No, here's the other thing that can happen though, and this goes back to China. Let's say China decides to raid all these farms. They find where they are and they, and they raid them and they force by gunpoint or something crazy that you're going to have to all do, a, do an attack. What they could do is spam the network. They could spam, oh, yeah. they could spam the network incessantly to drive the price down, cause panic selling, and try to really – it's like the Joker idea. I saw a great video uh, on YouTube last night about this. It's like, I'm just going to destroy it all. Like, it has nothing <laughs> to do with trying to make money. It's just trying to be like – an anarch like just I'm going to destroy Bitcoin. And if China decided to try to do that, they could potentially attack it in a way by spamming it with double spins on the new blocks to people start panic buying, driving the price down. But of course, the market would turn around as the price dives and then people start buying it up again. So and we've seen this before. Uh, 2014. Yes, this type of attack has already taken place on the blo- on the Bitcoin blockchain. I don't know if if anybody really remembers this, but there was a point not too long ago, a couple of years ago, when you could not really send a transaction on the Bitcoin network unless you were planning on waiting a couple hours for that transaction to hit, even though the blocks happen every 10 minutes. And the way that that was taking place is that a bunch of transactions were just being spammed continually. And the reason that they were doing this is uh, when they split and did the Bitcoin cash thing, right? The Bitcoin cash guys were saying, oh, the block sizes need to be bigger so that each block can have more data and therefore more transactions. And that's how they thought they were going to scale the chain, which is a bad idea. And everybody was against it who was smart. So they said, uh, no. And so these guys said, oh, yeah, and they decided to spam and fill the transaction uh, log on the chain so that it got backed up so that the miners couldn't keep up. 
and so that the transactions being processed were too many and it slowed the network down and we so we've seen this attack happen before yeah yeah exactly so without getting too much deeper into this because i think we're already in almost to john mcafee hour um we see that there's a centralization issue the other centralization issue baron is something i think you'll understand is that the way to get into bitcoin um you there's you know nobody is really mining these days unless you're joining in a pool it's it's difficult so traditionally to get bitcoin you would mine it but now to get it you kind of have to pour it into it via you know taking your money or um if you're able to sell products for bitcoin that's an amazing way to do it we try to do that on alphabetic.com you can actually buy anything up with bitcoin on our website it's very rarely happens unfortunately we also accept other coins but um the other way of course is taking your fiat you know, your US or your pounds or whatever, your euro, and then buying Bitcoin with that through a centralized agency. And the problem with that is now we've, the, the big, you know, point of, of that is that there was centralized exchanges were created. This was after the Mt. Gox issue where that was hacked and there was like hundreds of millions of dollars stolen in Bitcoin. So uh, more centralized agencies came on board they got more regulated and now we have like coinbase which so is the basically- problem lies in okay so now we have a decentralized currency we're like but the problem lies in getting people to actually switch to it right so uh, during that transition period where people are switching uh from using a centralized currency to using a decentralized one there will have to be gateways that are yep. centralized because the only way you can get to the centralized currency is through a centralized gateway so uh, those are a necessary evil, but they should be temporary and they should not have gotten to the point that they're at now. Well, we tried to solve this with Karma Ship and, the, and Cordal, and the idea is create a new infrastructure, a new ecosystem that doesn't require cash or require fiat, that you literally, we create a new economy through like with Karma Ship experience and human energy with Cordal running a node, proving yourself the idea is and there to, will be other methods too that we will add in um, in the future where you'll be able to have another type of input that is then valued to the network and you will get a level from that as well i'm calling it leveling enabled account types which right now is minting um, yeah. there will be more in the future so for people like i don't want to run a computer i don't want to run a node fine there will be other ways for you to level up in the future but you know we're still what, 25 days into the launch so yeah, yeah. At a time so so i bring up the centralized exchanges because what we've seen with bitcoin is it's literally become completely manipulated by the uh, trading apparatuses that are not to call anyone out but i mean like the binances bitfinexes especially with the idea of tethering te the tether coin um, we've seen it turn and into- And that was used for a huge manipulation not too long ago too. Exactly. And so what the problem with this is, it's really taken out the whole decentralized P2P idea of the store of value and it turned it in just to another stock or into another market. That is what we're literally seeing happening in the mainstream where banks are literally buying into the market. So they're buying foreign stocks. Like the Swiss franc is now basically Amazon and Google. And the problem with that is it's creating a massive inflationary bubble that is going to lead to collapse. It's all a facade. It's all a big Ponzi scheme. And a lot of that's happened to Bitcoin now where it's basically become a derivative. And, and so this is why with Cordal, why this is so important, this is a good segue. Cordal is the foundation behind it, behind the, besides the minting, which 
and really quick on the mining issue with Bitcoin, it's taking a ton of energy now. I think Bitcoin mining is, is, oh, is, is, more, is responsible for the most energy consumption in the world now. So if you extrapolate that out, and even if we do have massive innovations in free energy, which could really change the game there, um, that's, a, that's a serious issue right now. So the idea with minting is that we've taken it back to just allowing people on their computers to, to run the network. Now, with real quick on the 2.0 stuff too. So after Bitcoin, we had this big second revolution where we, we've really seen the value in the blockchain because the blockchain has all sorts of other um, things you can do with it because it's just an immutable ledger. It's, an, it's a ledger of truth. So you can use it for, pol you're taking the intermediary out. You're taking the middleman out. So you can use it for everything from voting, you know, you could use it into politics, healthcare, insurance. Uh, now we're seeing the DeFi revolution that they're calling it, which is the decentralized finance. So things like loans, running markets. Except it's not really decentralized insurance. and they don't understand the concept and then they're just using words that sound good. But yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Decentralization is like the hottest. It's like alternative health, Bear. It's like, you know, throwing out the hot topic. It's like, oh, we're decentralized because it just sounds cool. Um, it's like now, the term DEX, which is one I'm not using specifically for that reason. Yeah, so DEX is DEX, which is short for Decentralized Exchange, which is, you know, they supposedly been around for a number of years now. Now, what we're seeing with this, and I'm not going to call out any projects on here. So, so <laughs> Right, I'm going to try not to do that. With, yeah. with the, the, so the Crypto 2.0, we're, we're talking about Crypto 3.0 today. 2.0 was in 2013, 2012, 13, yeah, 14. 2013, 14, yeah. Was where we saw the, the most, and we can talk about this one because it's really the most famous one is Ethereum, which is the idea of using blockchain to create a virtual machine. In, the, the, in other words, using blockchain to literally run applications, right? And yeah. so the founders of Ethereum, you know, saw this as a massive evolution, but really what they were one of the first ICOs, the first initial coin offerings. I think they were the, were they, first, I don't know, no, if they were the maybe first. next. Yeah, Anyways, they the what they did is they, they basically created a new ecosystem for blockchain where people can buy into a project through a token they really kind of were the one of the first to bring up the idea of a token versus well, a coin there were a few chains that had the idea of tokens yep. and some of them called it assets some of them called them colored coins uh some of them called them other different things but basically all it is is instead of initializing your own blockchain uh you can utilize another blockchain as a back end and issue a token that runs on that blockchain and that doesn't need its own mining power and so forth because it doesn't have its own chain. But it still has the same uh, uh, decentralized aspects to it, except one key fact that people like seem to ignore and like deliberately ignore uh, is the fact that the assets, when you issue them on almost every platform, I'm not aware of any platform that does it any differently than this, uh, if anybody knows of one, then let me know. Uh, but uh, you, you as the issuer of the asset, are the one who controls the entire supply of the asset that you issue. So you can kind of see that that's not <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I'm like I'm like okay. Yeah. This works for like stocks, for company stocks. That's like yeah. all this really works for. Right. It's centralized. Totally. So people are like, uh, boom, but it's not because they airdropped it out to everyone. It's like, no, there's still one guy who controls the whole thing. And on some chains, you can even say 
uh, I can recall assets that I've sent out back to me. So that's they're, that's they're, a bank. They're, that's they're, what's called a bank, guys. They're fungible. We yeah, they're fungible, yeah. which is scary. So I mean, th this is why they're called shit coins. I mean, that's I hate to use that language, but that's that's they're like not a common even coins. Most of them have yeah. no blockchain. They're just an app, a centralized yeah. app like any other that's talking to a blockchain. So we have now the Gates Foundation uh, working with Google to um, create their new project, um, which is using Ripple as the foundation. And uh, it's called Moja, Moja Loop. And I'm gonna, John McAfee's about to join us. I'm gonna ask him about this. I'm sure he's gonna okay. love this. So I wanna hear his opinion on this, yeah. They're calling it decentralized because it's open source. And there is a value to, op obviously we're a pro open source. It, but it, the only reason they're even doing that is because they know they will fail flat out if they try to do anything that's not open source. Yes. So they're using open source as an excuse, as like a kind of a cover to, to get people to think that this is decentralized. How but, many people read not... the code anyway? Just FYI. Sorry to interrupt. Well, and open source is powerful because it does allow for other people to work on and adopt their project. But the problem is the economics of it are completely centralized um, because they're using Ripple. So Ripple is one of the largest cryptocurrencies in the world. It does not use a blockchain. It uses a consensus mechanism of cryptography that is based on a, on a consensus of, of banks. Of, of, it's hey. literally no different than the SWIFT system, except it's got a little bit more it's of a crypto. faster and there's some yeah. other nonsense in there. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, you know, so we've got now, what's funny is like I took a break from like, really researching a lot of projects when from 2017 2018 when i was really into it so i kind of did some didn't deep dives much. last night i haven't missed anything i haven't missed anything i was digging into the DeFi revolution all it is all it is is ethereum tokens right they, they, so yeah if everyone runs on the ethereum network then all of these assets can be traded decentralized because everybody's just using the same blockchain like oh, so yeah, let's ex obviously so let's let's go into so 2.0 was the big ICO boom. I think most people that think of crypto think of it in this way. It's when the internet, the initial coin offerings blew up. People were it was all about going to the moon and Lambos. Lambos. And and it was all about, you know, uh trade day trading and trying to find uh, pump and dumps and it was really well it brought me in because I was really inspired by what blockchain could do and and that's what Cordal yeah. is all about. It was also all about greed and all about, you know, making a right. quick buck. Right, any Joe Schmo could come along in this unregulated Wild West and say, oh, here's a badass idea, and you can invest in it here. And they would get all this money up front, and what do 99% of people do when they get a bunch of money up front for doing nothing? Walk away with the money, right? Like, yeah, so EOS, EOS is a happening. great example of that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, they made billions of dollars for a technology that should probably only cost maybe a million to make yeah, if that. I mean, not even, yeah. not even that. So where is all this money going and um, what is going on? So, you know, there was a big crackdown on it. And so, so anyways, a lot of those projects are still around and they're still languishing and they're still doing their thing and they've got communities behind them and it's great. And we're not going to, you know, whatever. Right. Not People... everybody is garbage. Don't get me wrong. Just most everybody. No. <laughs> In a way, we're kind of Bitcoin maximalists, but we want to fix it and make it better. So, um, yeah. so anyways, the, the theory behind the 2.0 is, you know, is that they were going to use blockchain to really revolutionize the world. And I feel like that's more important than ever. 
because we need blockchain. But they're all you can't have a block a true decentralized pr platform run by a corporation with CEOs. I'm sorry, it's just right. It's, I've it's always an oxymoron. looked at that, I'm like what the hell? And now people are like requesting that it be a, a thing that has to be done, and I'm like. <laughs> yeah what's your team <laughs> Who, what's your team who's your ceo did they go to harvard you know like that's what all these uh these youtube shows talk about when they break down projects you know and it's like because they're looking to invest like, in it like a traditional company gives a fuck Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going back to the cypherpunk days really and and it's uh you know and bear you'll relate to this like in alternative medicine, you know, like what are your credentials? Did you go to medical school, Harvard Medical School? You know, um, you know, how many years, what hospitals have you worked at? Um, what are your connections? It's the same thing when this space, and, it's like- uh, Is anybody even verifying half of this information? Yeah, so it's the same thing with you, Bear. You know, it's like people question you maybe because, you know, you've run clinics that uh, are off the beaten path, but are doing the good work. And it's a tough, it's a tough space these days because as we try to promote this project, we don't, our team is private, like not private. I mean, you can see the team, but we all, you know, it's, it's a guy named Cat. Everyone it's a can guy named Tyga. whether they want to give their real name to the world or not. Right. And that's how it should be. If you don't want to tell the entire world who you are and where you are, you don't, you shouldn't have to. Right. So we went with that concept with everything and with building Quartal too, right? So you can choose to be anonymous if you want to be, or you can choose to not be. What matters to me is that the, the team is not really a team, they're family. They've been working with me for so long or through all this nonsense of being scammed over what would have equated to a couple million dollars by now. Uh, and all kinds of nonsense has happened in this space when I've been leading multiple different things and trying to get stuff done. So yeah. it, I, the questioning of the development team just irks me because if you have been around for any period of time, you will see that we have not gone anywhere. So uh, that I think is where uh, the trust comes in, right? If you've seen somebody doing something for a long period of time, what's the point in questioning them over stuff that should be obvious? There's no point. Trust should be something that's earned, something that's, uh, the team has already proven themselves and earned. So, yeah. well, well that, and it's, it's open source. So you can go look at the code. You can go literally, you know, verify. And that's the beauty of open source. So John McAfee is about to jump in here in about three minutes. Just heard from him. So that's exciting. I'd uh, love to hear his whole take on, on where crypto is going right now. Um, Bear, do you have any questions as of now of what we've been covering? Um, no, I'm following everything. Uh, I'm really looking forward to John's take. You know, I like to sit back and look at the macro and, uh, I'm just like a lot of other people waiting for the fiat system to collapse. And then that's mm -hmm. when I think the, you know, the whole well, we blockchain. We can't just wait, right? We, we can't just wait. We have to have something in place for when it does. <laughs> uh, I, I, I totally agree. And a lot of us are doing that in many ways, uh, you know, uh, beyond even crypto, you know, just we're ready for it. I planted and, my and, card in. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, the thing I have a hard time wrapping my mind around is uh, having parallel systems. Because right now, you know, I opened up a, a Coinbase long ago, you know, a wallet and, and then realized it was, you know, open, you know, to the IRS and every other agency. So, oh, I, yeah. you know, just got rid of it. Uh, so as long as people are hooked into this fiat system, 
or any other, even a crypto system that's controlled by the, you know, some kind of government somewhere. Yep. It's like, how do we traverse back and forth between truly decentralized and the things that are totally controlled? And that's what I've said for the longest time is all it's going to take is for people to stop using that system and to start using this one. But it's like, how though, right? Because everything you have to buy is still in this one and everything you have to do, you still have to use the existing system. So how do you make that gateway? And I think I've worked out some sort of way to make that happen, but it starts with having a, a good platform that's actually decentralized and that has the capabilities to actually be something that could run the world and go from there and you start with having it, you know, so. That's and it, it takes an educated populace and it's the same thing in every field in medicine. It's the same thing with people that want to regain their health or, or cure some kind of illness. And we just, you, you know, appeal to them that it's impossible to regain your health as long as you're going to the, you know, those other guys right. that are giving you all these pills and crap to take and slow, but sure. We are seeing a change, a shift. And I've, I've know, been perception. seeing it too. Yeah. The, even yeah. people are more open to the ideas that I present to them. Most of the time back in the day when I would say anything about what I was doing, it was just like people had a brick wall and they would not even like entertain the yeah. concept. But now I'm finding yeah. people are, are being a little bit more open to it, which is good. I have, I have no doubt that it's happening. I think right now the situation is uh, a race to the finish line because, uh, you know, it's who's going to get there first. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> why adoption is so important. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. It's like a little um, bit of a drop in consciousness there. Like, oh. um, yeah, no, I, I uh, so anyways, that's why adoption is so important and why, you know, Crypto 2.0, I was just talking about why it took off and why, you know, it was important because it brought a lot of people into the space, but we got to get away. If it weren't for that, I wouldn't be here because I wouldn't have found something that was actually interesting to me. <laughs> I would have found out the problems and left already. Exactly. So, you know, that's why we need to focus on kind of bridging 1.0 and 2.0. So what do I mean by 3.0? What I mean by 3.0 is taking the idea, the original ideals of the cypherpunks and, and, and Bitcoin and applying it to the evolution of blockchain in a decentralized manner where we have kind of the best of both worlds, but in a way that's empo more empowering because it's truly decentralized. So real quick, oh, and John McAfee is with us now. So I'm going to bring him in right now because he doesn't have a lot of time. Nice. And um, we're not messing around today. So um, we're serious business. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, let him, uh, we'll let him get ready. So anyways, the idea with the DEX is the atomic cross-chain swaps versus just, um, you know, running a DeFi Ethereum token swap, right? So we want to be able to port in, you know, a crypto right into Bitcoin. And so that's what I mean by 3.0. What's up, Mr. McAfee? How you doing today? Hey there. Well, I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Well, we are going deep into the world of crypto and COVID. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> crypto and COVID, the two C's. All right. The well, awesome. C's. So, John, good to see you again. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, I'm sitting back and letting these guys educate me, so I'm going to let you guys have at it. But uh, thanks for being with us again. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, John, yeah, we've been uh, talking about what I'm calling Crypto 3.0, which is really taking the original 
um, cypherpunk, Satoshi Nakamoto ideals and applying it to the more modernized blockchain via a ton of cross-chain swaps and, and really taking us to the next level what blockchain, blockchain should be, but on an actual decentralized system, unlike, you know, what we're seeing right now with the centralized exchanges and, and a lot of the manipulation that's going on. Do you, you personally feel like that's something that's feasible? And I do have here uh, with us a, a founder of a Cordal, which is a new blockchain project that's doing pretty much doing that, which we can talk about a little bit. But in your own perspective, with what everything that's going on with COVID, and um, kind of we're seeing this massive centralization, and and we're seeing projects like Moja Loop, if you're familiar with that, you know, is the Gates Foundation working with Google. Um, wow. You know, are 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 you seeing? Are you do you have any? <laughs> <laughs> like positive feelings that we can kind of overcome this through our own well, abilities. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about positive feelings. I think that remains to be seen. I mean, I know what we're doing. I mean, our ghost exchange is up and running now um, using atomic swaps where we need to use atomic swaps. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you can, um, you can exchange uh, ghost uh, for, Bitcoin or Ethereum, Ethereum for Bitcoin, uh, any ERC-20 token for any other ERC-20, obviously that's trivial shit. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to be adding more um, as we go along. And then the ghost token itself, um, which is really, we, we tried uh, to take uh, an existing uh, privacy coin. Uh, and decentralize it by making it swappable on, on a decentralized exchange. And it's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Bitcoin is a fucking nightmare, I'm telling you now. I mean, I, honestly, I, I, I wish it would have just evaporated before now, <laughs> but it's not going to do so. Um, so that was a nightmare. I mean, seriously, Bitcoin is so hard. You, you're, you're nodding. You know what I'm fucking talking it's about. It's much harder <laughs> than you would think. Like, we no, just did automating ours. Hard. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, no. Definitely. So, um, so we've got that going. No, decentralization is... It. Listen, here's the problem. I mean, you've got... Uh, that Monero, God damn, is that private? I mean, seriously, I, you're not going to crack that fucker. I think it's next. the best one, honestly. Yeah. It is the best one. Problem is, try to make that fucking decentralized. You have to swap it on a centralized goddamn exchange. I think and we can do it. I think we can. Okay. We, we use a, well, a that's totally fine. different system. <laughs> that's fine. And, and maybe you can. But we just built another goddamn privacy coin called Ghost, all right? Equally as good and trivial uh, to swap on decentralized exchanges. And it, we're swappable on, on the Ghost exchange now. But the problem with, with centralized exchanges are it doesn't matter how private the coin is. Uh, if you have to exchange it uh, for dollars, euros, or whatever, uh, DAI, well, you're fucked, people. Because anything that's tied to a centralized anything is a yes, yeah, because centralized exchanges require what? Well, if we want to know who you are, where you are, what your email address is, we need some documentation. What's your bank account? Seriously, God, I that's mean, the anti-decentralized. Yes. And, and like on the ghost exchange, we don't ask you anything. We don't even keep your fucking IP address. All right. That we know no KYC, no, no anti-money. Now laundry, one question though, uh, how are you planning to combat the DNS and being tied to a domain? Well, okay. First of all, we've got unstoppable domains now, people. I mean, 
Um, and with the unstoppable domains, fuck me, if, if you've got the keys, ain't nobody taking that shit away from you. Plus, um, we are not just decentralized, we're distributed. Um, we've made the uh, Ghost Exchange open source, and <laughs> we've got dozens of people running their own nodes around the world, and hopefully we'll have hundreds and then thousands. So I don't give a shit. Bring down the ghost.com. Who gives a shit? Do you understand? So nice. that's, how we're, that's how we're combating that. And if, if governments want to go to the fucking trouble to shut everything down, well, good they luck. They have to shut all the power down. Say. Go ahead. That's what I've always said. They yeah, can even yeah, shut the yeah, entire internet shut, down or power. That's right. Shut, <laughs> shut down the fucking power and we'll live in a cave again. I, but, I, <laughs> you know, I, if, if you're going to go to that extreme, then there's something wrong with the politician. So, um, well, Pandora's you know, box has been open. They, can't, they need the internet to control. They yeah, have- right. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. See, the beauty of decentralized and uh, distributed is as you shut down each of the distributed <laughs> nodes, more of them spring up. It's like yep. Hydra's head. Do you understand? Cut off one snake's head and 10 more grow. So I, I don't think they're going to stop us. I don't. I really don't. The problem is we have to get established. We have to get a, enough of a base that they can't go through. And go, okay, so there's only 27 ghosts you're saying. Just shut them all fucking down now, overnight. Arrest everybody, execute them, whatever. Uh, listen, you don't think the CIA does shit like that? Wake up. Okay. I'm John yeah. McAfee. I'm, I have been living underground for a year. Now, I just published on <laughs> Okay, so this is so fucking strange. Uh, I just on Twitter a couple hours ago, uh, I published a, um, an email I got from Google going, uh, listen, the Department of Justice uh, has been looking at your emails. Um, we were not able to tell you about it because of a court order, but now we can. I published that fucking thing. Oh, wow. I knew it was happening. Oh, please, God, I'm John McAfee, of course. They're watching me. However, they don't know where I am. That's, isn't, that, isn't that beautiful? Um, I like that. Well, it's the only thing you can hide anymore. I mean, you can also hide your identity if you're not a public figure. <laughs> right, but if I, right now I can't claim not to be me, right? I'm sorry, right. but they're not, they still don't know where I am. Um, so this you can hide, and this is why. Let me tell you why I did the ghost phone. So we've got we've got the ghost phone 4G uh, LTE service. Uh, works in 35 countries. We've been in beta test now for a month and a half. It's it's fantastic. Now. With this phone system, and it's eSIM only. I apologize to those of you with old telephones, cannot help you. But if you've got a Samsung S20 or above, or if you've got uh, the Google Pixel or the latest uh, iPhone, yes, that supports uh, eSIMs, then <laughs> you can buy one of our eSIMs and you become a little ghost because we keep nothing, nothing about you. Um, and nobody. You can't be triangulated, you can't be located, you can't be identified. Now, if you're on it and you're using it to post Twitter things, I'm sorry, I cannot help you about hiding your identification, all right? Uh, but it's but not if, But if you use the new... We can solve that in the near future, too. We well, if you use the decentralized Twitter, use a decentralized Twitter or a decentralized, you know, these other, there yeah, are. Well, yeah, but that's not Twitter now, is it? That's something else. That's Gab. And by the way, Gab is not a decentralized system, people. I, you know, they say there's they a lot of systems that think they are, but they're not. Yeah, they're not. They're just not. I mean, it's, decentral, it's, it's harder to be decentralized than you think. If someone can actually go in and change something, then it ain't decentralized, people. I mean, people go, hey, like the SEC has is, is, is already said, you're going to have to put KYC in and AML. How? I'm sorry. 
It's you cannot do that with a decentralized platform. If it's really decentralized, you can't. How the fuck can I do it, people? That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. So my thing is, God, I'm so stupid. I should have thought about that, but I'm sorry I didn't. It's fucked now. No, please. It was, that's the beauty of decentralized systems. Even the goddamn creators cannot exactly. change it. Exactly. Thank you. Do you understand? This is the beauty of decentralization. So I can't change it. Can't. I'm sorry. It's goddamn smart contracts on the fucking blockchains. Sue me. All right. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Like the way that we've built our uh, trade portal, it, there's nothing they can do about it. Everything is in control of the people who are running it. And yes, absolutely. Uh, that's what do you want me to do? Like, no, yeah, don't, don't come to me. Why are you coming to me? What do you think I can fucking do? Well, they're going to come to you because you're the face. Just like I am the face of this project. They know who I am. They're going to come to me. They're going to come to you. Yeah. And, and they've already come to me, but I've said, listen, I can't do anything about it. I'm sorry. I've, I made a mistake. I'm an old man. I wasn't thinking. <laughs> I didn't. I forgot about We're KYC. We're going with the oops theory? Nice. That's, I like that one. Well, I forgot about KYC and AML. I mean, God damn it. I'm old. I mean, I'm sorry. I, uh, forgive just me. just slipped my mind there. So, so, <laughs> but, I, but I'm on. sorry. I can't yeah. help you anymore. Okay. So that's the beauty of decentralized yeah. systems. You understand? Yeah. That, and so, so but my one issue is what if you have an issue with the base network that is running? That's the problem. Like yes, yes, that's a fucking problem. See, you got to be perfect, or you got to be at least close enough that your imperfections are livable. Do you understand? Exactly. So, 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 so John, you, 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 John, you highlighted an important issue though: oh. is adoption. Yes. So, how do we get people? Yes into these decentralized systems without having to go through a centralized authority using fiat money, right? Yeah, and so, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I, we're know, working on a bunch of people, we're with, people like with, John McAfee who has a big following to yell about it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, but even that's not enough. You need to understand. I mean, because so many people have no clue. They, I mean, you can say it, but fuck me in a tweet. What can you say? And you only have so two hard. minutes. You only got two minutes and 20 seconds uh, in a video. Do you know how hard it is to get anything complex across? Most people, I get this there. Well, yeah, you, know, right. and, you know what, though? You've got, you've got like Vinny Lingham and Civic now are doing the vaccine thing where you're going to have to you have your identity tied to a vaccine and then you're going <laughs> to, you, you know, and they're already partnered with a hospital group in Colorado. Let, let me tell you, let me tell you people why I, I, I built the, the ghost phone network. Because Janice and I, my wife, we can't have telephones. We had to have telephones for two right. fucking years. If we did, we would have been collected within 20 minutes of, of our first fucking phone call. Um, and that's okay. But, but here's the problem, see. When we're out, I'm not going to sit for three fucking hours in a nail salon while she gets her nails done. So right. I'll, I'll meet you here at 4.15. <laughs> and when she doesn't show up which happens because life is not a perfect thing. I, I get panicked because I cannot call her and she cannot call me. Well, I, I didn't like that. So that's why I built the ghost system. And then after, after I built it, I was just going to build it for us. You know, it would be very expensive for two people. That's how the best me. thing starts when you're building them that's for right. your personal and use. Then, and then it's like, oh, and this then is pretty cool. Everybody, everybody goes, motherfucking hell, can I have one? And I go, well, I guess. <laughs> and so finally, finally, it's now in 35 fucking countries, um, at least in beta and and. Now, with the towers on that, are you, are you piggybacking off of existing towers? Or you any existing around? fucking tower, any tower, AT&T, we don't give a flying... Any of, any of the stuff. Yeah, we don't give a flying fuck. 
anywhere. Like we've, we haven't found a single place in America that gets cell service that we were not able. And at the same fucking speeds uh, as AT&T or well, Verizon. Yeah, you're using the same towers. She's the same fucking towers. Jesus God, see? Um, see, here's the thing. When they came up with the eSIM concept, a beautiful concept, well, I had to go down to the goddamn phone store just to get a goddamn SIM card. Why not download it, right? They didn't think of people like me, did they? I mean, what can mm-hmm. I say? So They often <laughs> overlook the types like us. They're like, oh, well, I can do a lot of stuff with this. Uh, yeah, I can do a lot of shit with that. Thank you very fucking much, right? And cheaply. It's not expensive, for God's sake. Uh, I mean, for for the system, the 35 countries win. Yes, very expensive. However, I had backers for that because people go, "Holy shit! Let me see that." Yeah, no. So we're Janice and I are talking like crazy now. Okay, (laughs) and nobody knows who the fuck we are or where the fuck we are. And so, God damn it! Then somebody goes, and so finally people go, "Listen, I'll put a few million in that." If you will, if you will make this a worldwide, we're in 35 countries. Listen, it ain't easy. It's not, we can't do Canada. Well, my phone service just turned off. Can I port over to that? Fuck yes. Well, not now. On September 15th, you can. As a matter of fact, if you give me, give me, you know, I I will, I'll send you a beta SIM card. And you can play with it. I'll give you 500 megs. That's all I can give you because it's expensive, unfortunately. Uh, And then you can, you can try it out. Because nobody will know who the fuck you are. Because we don't get your name. Uh, we like need a that. credit card. We need a credit card. You can buy a fucking credit card at one of these goddamn machines. Um, we're online. Bitcoin. <laughs> so yeah, this this will work in the U.S. starting in September, John. It's absolutely it works in the U.S. It works everywhere in New York except Portugal. Um, it does not work in China. It works in Russia. It does not work in Australia or New Zealand. Um, it only in South America, it only works in Colombia, does not work in Mexico, does not work in Canada, but all of the US, all of Europe except Portugal, fuck me, that's, that's a big part of the world, people. So it's hard. It's hard to implement this in places like Canada. God damn it. They're in the fucking stone ages with their systems up there. I can't, I just can't do shit with it. Um, I mean, well, it, needs, it, needs to be able to run, it needs to be able to I'm run. Sorry? Maple, it needs to be able to run on maple syrup. Can you make that work? Or something. <laughs> but I mean, I can do it, but it'll cost ten thousand dollars per gigabyte. I mean, I'm sorry, no one's going to pay that shit. Okay. Yeah, I said <laughs> I have an experience with Canada too. They did a bunch of nonsense to me. Oh, and and Australia. God damn it! I, I, are they using tin cans there still? I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, so, so so for for adoption of your new um, protocol and. <laughs> getting into into you know with like the court project we're working on and what you're doing i feel like a, a major way of that is through commerce and and having markets set up where people can exchange goods for specifically um so i for instance i'm like a farmer and i'm growing food and i'll accept instead of uh, accepting someone's cash then i have to go take to buy your coin i'll just take your coin and you can, and so how does that person get that coin through mining or minting as Cordal does? Right. I feel like that's where we need to be going. And I feel like COVID's actually going to be pushing us towards that. Exactly. It is. That it, is. Too. Was, uh, it is. Wow. It is. I mean, governments are just printing money out of thin air now because they have to, right? They, they don't have any fucking resources coming in. Nobody's working. So no one's, no one's paying taxes. The airlines, which is a huge revenue for the government, had been in business for six fucking months. So, no, they're desperate. They're printing money. It's going to become worthless. 
Um, I, I don't know how. I mean, we're coming out with the ghost credit card uh, in, on the 20th of August. Uh, you can load it up with ghosts and buy whatever you fucking want with it anonymously. All right. No name attached to it. Um, I mean, it's things like this, I think, which just make it a little easier. A segue. For Pardon? Yes. It's a segue. It's a segue. It's, it's, a, it's between here and here. You, you understand? Right, because once we get to the end result, we won't need any of this anyway. Because we're we don't need it. No, once we end it, all this shit will go away. But for now, we got to have shit like this. I'm sorry. Yep, it's <laughs> you know, a necessary evil at the moment. We're, we're trying to get away from credit cards. I don't know any other way, people, uh, to take Ghost and, and be able to buy a fucking cup of coffee with it. Do you understand? Well, this is the thing, though. If you're required for your vaccine app to go to a traditional market, there will be underground black market, farmer's markets and stuff, and they're going to want to accept Ghost because it's well, going to be forced that way. So, I mean, yeah, I, you know. With the vaccine, I've already found a doctor on my goddamn payroll. So if I have to get the vaccine, I'm going to call him. He's going to come and, and uh, take the vaccine and put it in a needle and squirt it in the toilet and fill out the form saying you've got your vaccine. And I'm not need that, that hookup shit. too. I just should... Pardon? <laughs> I said I need that hookup too. I'm not doing that. No way. Listen, you can always find a doctor on the take. So I'm just saying because here's the problem, people. How long has that fucker been tested? I mean, normally they test vaccines for what, years? Ten, ten years. Ten fucking years? Yeah, and this now one came what? out of nowhere. Out of fucking nowhere. You ain't putting that shit in my body. I am sorry, people. It's not happening. It's not fucking happening. I mean, you're not going to – I will I will fight tooth and nail against that shit. It's not, I'm not taking it. It's the line. You have to kick down my door and rush in with a with a SWAT team to get me to do be compliant. Yeah, well, kicking matter. down my door would be a very dangerous thing to do if anybody uh, knows right. me and my and my lifestyle. And we have time for one more question. I'm very sorry. But it's a I'm going to I'm going to let Bear ask that question. All right, Doctor Lando. Well, I'm having a great time just listening to you guys, but you know, medicine is my business, and uh, you know, I'll just get a little plug in for the anti-vax folks. Uh, there's no such thing as a good vaccine. I spent you know 40 years in medical practice treating vaccine-damaged kids, and there's no way they're going to inject me either. And if they try no, to no, kick no, my door down, you're nobody's not going with me. You're not putting yeah. that shit in me. And doc, doc, let you're, me let me ask you a yeah. fucking question. I mean, you're a doctor. You know this, okay? Now. Why do doctors wear masks in surgery for bacterial infection? Bacteria are huge motherfuckers. They get caught in these masks. Viruses, 10,000 times smaller. The wave in the mask is like nothing. It's like invisible to a goddamn virus. And yet, we're putting masks on for viral infections for <laughs> an airborne bacteria. I mean, we breathe in every... In every cubic meter of air there's 800 million viruses i saw a sign on the kinds. store the other day no shirt no shoes no mask no service <laughs> i love that i fucking love that well, the, you know the like, scam wow. goes a lot further and we do a lot of podcast on you know what contagions and virus really are and what we're taught in medical school about a virus is really false to begin with and the leading virologists have all disproved that too much of a subject here but yeah if viruses existed the way we were taught there existed the mask is totally useless we'd all be dead. Totally it, useless. You know, 
I mean, yeah. we know, first of all, viruses aren't alive. They're not, they're, they are not activated until they touch a living cell. And by the way, bacteria are hosts for viruses. You know this, Doc. I mean, that's how tiny these motherfuckers are. Um, they're protein molecules. God damn it, they'll go through anything. I mean, I mean, you can get masks, I mean, but you've got to protect your eyes because they can get into your eyes, you know this. And fuck me, it's insane to wear a mask thinking, because here's the mask problem. For people who have um, uh, breathing disorders, the mask is, is more harmful than good. It, re it restricts the flow of oxygen. Uh, into and out of the lungs. Good God almighty, people. Not to mention all the particles in it, the outgassing of whatever. Oh, uh, oh fuck, yes. Like, I mean, good you know, God, what, in, what are we thinking? Sweatshops in Bangladesh, you know? It's absolutely, like, absolutely. And the microfibers in this shit, yeah. you know you're breathing that into your lungs. You might as well be smoking Cuban cigars and inhaling them. Probably better for you. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, people. Hey, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to run. Hey, John, I, I want to send you about this project we've been working on for six years. I think you really like okay. it. If you can give us a shout out on Twitter, we're doing what you're doing, the work. It's not, it's all open source, no corporation behind it. It's like we're taking Bitcoin to the next I took level. all the most idealistic crap I could think of and threw it all together. And somehow these developers Perfect. make it real. Perfect. I'll help, I'll help you guys out. So send me a link. I'll put it up. Thank you, I guys. appreciate it, sir. Run. Hey, have a great day. Okay. Thanks, John. All right. John, Bye -bye. thank you. Take care. John McAfee right. in the house. Awesome. What, a ple what a pleasure. That guy just brings it every time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, that but, was awesome. That was fun. Yeah. I you always know, love that guy. <laughs> we only get a half an hour with him, unfortunately, because he does like 30 of these a day. And I was hoping to get an hour with him. But Janice was just like, yeah, he, you know, but we're on his list. He'll, he said he'll come on like every month. Oh, we're but, on the good list um, now. I've yeah. been on all kinds of other lists. Yeah. So, well, just to go back to the crypto thing, um, you know, just to uh, you know, answer any other questions people have here. And, and, you know, so just to dive into what Court's doing once again, because John, I guess John's got his decks up and running. I didn't know that uh, was true. Well, but, I'll, I'll convince um, him later. It's fine right now. He can, he can you know. <laughs> well, I think we could have a strategic partnership because one thing that you brought yeah. up, and this is what I wanted to get into next with, with Court, was... Um, you know, the idea of hosting, right? So let's say that they are doing right, atomic right, right, cross-chain right. swaps. They still have to host that, um, the access onto a domain. And he was acting like it was distributed. So I, I need to see more about it. All I saw was that some of the assets they were using were ERC-20 tokens, which, I mean, that's, that's not a cross-chain swap. So I'm like, I didn't see where their cross-chain swaps were actually taking place. Explain, so, explain cross-chain swap. Right. Okay. So the difference between something that's uh, a centralized exchange doing a trade and what we're doing on Cordal, which is a completely cross-chain trade, is that, okay, so person A has Bitcoin. They want to buy uh, whatever other token over here, right? Uh, if they want to do that right now, they have to deposit their money to a centralized exchange. So does this person. Then they do the swapping and then they give the other person the money. In a cross-chain swap, you literally trade directly from one blockchain to another. Now, this sounds very simple, like, oh, well, if we just agree, I send you the coins, you send me the coins, there we go, right? But in reality, it doesn't work like that. Uh, the, there's escrows and things like that for a reason, right? So uh, you have to get by both uh, that and also uh, the fact that you cannot have anything that's controlled by anyone 
doing any of the exchanging of anything, right? So with ours, what we have done and the hardest part for us was actually automating the process because in a cross-chain swap, there are multiple parts and you have to initiate, accept, accept the acceptance, accept the accepted acceptance and so forth. There's like four transactions that actually take place in order for the cross-chain swap to happen because it's actually trading from one blockchain to another, which is really difficult shit to do. So uh, we, we, we built it all. We had the cross-chain part working a long time ago, but the part that was hard was figuring out how we're gonna be able to make that something that an everyday user on a computer can sit down and use and not have to sit down and click and, and come back and check a few minutes later and click again and come back and check, that wouldn't work. So we had to automate the process and that is why the trade portal is not live right now because that was the hard part is automating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the empowering aspect of atomic cross-chain swap, as you says, it takes out the middleman and it really allows for a P2P transaction between two blockchains. And that's really, for me, adoption, so important for adoption moving forward on a more sovereign you know, tip versus the, the traditional way right now on centralized exchanges where you're giving up your keys, you're giving up your ownership of your assets. And like, there just are like other a decentralized exchanges. There are some real decentralized exchanges, but they require you to add some code to your coin and then you basically list yourself on the exchange. And, and it's cool because it is actually a decentralized exchange, but it's hard for people to get into because they have to actually have a coder to do the work then they have to actually like uh once they've had it set up then they still have those multiple transactions that have to take place for the for the actual trade to take place so what we ended up doing on Cordal, and instead of trying to automate it by centralizing it which is what most people have done they've that's what they've taken the hard part and they've automated the hard part by centralizing it which yeah sure that can work but that's not what we're trying to do right so what we ended up doing is basically Building, uh, for, for lack of a better term, we're, we're calling it a trade bot. It's not really a trade bot, but I'm just going to call it that for now. It's a trade bot that runs on your computer that has control of wallets that it creates that you can get the keys from. So you still have control of the keys. Nobody else knows them except for you and the bot, which is your computer. Uh, and that bot then takes and issues the automated uh, transaction, the smart contract uh, onto the chain and the other person accepts and then the two bots take over from that point on and complete the trade. So all you have to do is do what you would do on any other normal exchange, issue the order and then wait. And now another thing that people need to realize with cross-chain trades is that since it's actually trading from one chain to another, it's reliant on the block times of both chains involved. So it doesn't matter how fast Quartz block time is, whatever other coin that we're trading with still needs three confirmations for it to happen. So for a Bitcoin trade, the minimum time that it's going to take, I think it's two, two or three, sorry. It's going to take either 20 or 30 minutes minimal for any trade to take place. And that's just because we have to wait on blockchain uh, transactions to confirm. We have to wait on the next block. So when we list a coin that's faster, uh, we're not going to be limited as much by that. And also when we list the, uh, or when we get the lightning network, which is now in a testing phase and they're not really using it for any larger transactions, like really small ones, uh, gets to a point where it can be used. We can make that part of it and actually make it a real time, 
more of an exchange than uh, it, it'll be initially. And I, that's the whole reason it's called the trade portal is because it's not an exchange. Sure, it looks like one. Sure, it does all the things that an exchange does, but it's not an exchange and it's not a DEX because I hate that term. Uh, it is a decentralized trade mechanism that we're calling a portal. Uh, you send coins and you get other ones back and it comes directly from the other one's blockchain. So there's a little bit of a learning curve that comes along with like understanding what exactly is going on and like uh, realizing that because of the two chains, there's a little bit of a slowdown and it's just grasping that and just being okay with it because the other alternative is to use a centralized exchange, which almost every single one I've used in the past has either disappeared or been hacked and I've lost eight or nine, maybe 10 Bitcoin uh, in those uh, hacks and shutdowns. So uh, for me, uh, waiting a few extra minutes for something to, to take place is not a big deal. And I'm hoping that that's uh, what everybody else will think too. Yeah, that's a good explanation. Um, I mean, and, and here's the deal. So with Cordal, besides having the trade portal, the idea is to give value to actually why the heck do you want to use it to begin with? What's the point of get going in and trading and, and, you know, just to do that. That's the problem with a lot of projects. It's like you get set up, you get, you get the blockchain running and then it's just a wallet with like their crypto. Right. And it's like, okay, now what can I do? So the idea so that was the main function <laughs> or sorry, sorry. That was the main reason that I wanted QChat to be live before the, the, the genesis. Sorry. Yeah. So the idea is to actually provide value in terms of usage. And so the first aspect on the Cordal blockchain is this idea of QChat and it's running and it's actually really cool. So the idea with QChat is that you are, you have an actual decentralized encrypted chat on it right now that's working. And what it does is it, it's a 24 hour, right? It sends a transact. Basically every chat is a, uh, un, um, what do you call it? Uh, it's an unconfirmed transaction. Unconfirmed transaction. So it's a, what we did is we built a special transaction type that this transaction type never confirms. And so by default, the, the transaction will expire after one day or however many, 1,440 blocks. Uh, so after uh, that unconfirmed transaction expires, it's gone. Yeah. So that's really an interesting idea. So the idea is it's, uh, so it's not putting bloat. It's instant because it's unconfirmed, right? It's unconfirmed. So it's instant. So it's like a centralized telegram app. However, it doesn't go on the blockchain because it's unconfirmed. So you don't have blockchain bloat. Um, and then the, and it's fully encrypted. So, I mean, that's a really cool innovation. That's just right out of the gate inside. I think inside that's the, a world yeah. first. I don't know of any other uh, actual blockchain based real time chat uh, that exists, but yeah, I mean, and that took our team what, a week to put together. So if you consider that, that it took our team a week to build that uh, and realize how long it took us to build the base platform, then realize how much must be in that for that to have taken that long and then realize how yeah. badass this platform is going to be. Yeah. So my point of bringing that up is that, you know, as this moves forward and, you know, you can already create groups. So there's an alpha, there's actually an alpha Vedic group already in there and you can join it and you can chat. We have people in there chatting. Um, now the chat does expire after 24 hours, your, your message, which is cool. has a lot of great functionality for that. I love that. But also if you want to have a more historical, uh, like telegram type of, uh, experience that is in development right now as well. And yeah, we um, will have the ability to pin, 
um, and pinning will cost the transaction fee because pinning will actually put the message onto the chain where it will stay. I believe we're going to have to make a another new transaction type for that. I'm not entirely sure, but we are working on getting that completed so that you will be able to pin. But in the meantime, what we're doing now is a settings page where you can choose on your client side how long you want the messages to stay. Oh, great. So you will be able to cache the messages locally and view them later at your convenience or whatever for as long as you decide. So, as so long think as... of yourself as the server because it's all decentralized, mm -hmm. right? So everybody is essentially the server on the network. Every node is capable of doing what every other node with the same plugins installed is capable of doing, right? So if you as a node with QChat installed by default because it's the default plugin, uh, you're good to go, right? Like you have everything necessary to make this happen without any central server. So the beauty of Cordal is like Ethereum or EOS or Tron. It is an essential virtual machine in that these nodes are all running apps. Um, it's, it, they've kind of made that term a little, eh, I don't really like it anymore. Like uh, our smart contracts, they were saying that their smart contracts are a virtual machine, which is true, but we have done ours slightly differently. Uh, our smart contracts are not a virtual machine. They're a virtual CPU. So they're Expl explain, uh, explain smart contract for those. Okay. So a smart contract, all a smart contract is, is something that can be issued and be sitting on the blockchain waiting for something else to happen in which time it does something else automatically by itself and makes something else happen. So it's uh, like a bot sitting there waiting for you to give it a command and then it, and then it executes that command without anybody doing anything. Right. Which is how most of these um, DeFi decent supposedly decentralized exchanges are. They're just using uh, Ethereum smart contracts. Right, but the to... problem with the Ethereum contracts is that they made them too complex. When you make something too complex, there's too many room or too much room for holes and and issues to then happen. That's what we saw. Right. That's what we saw with the DAO, uh, centralized autonomous organization that was put out on Ethereum right after it launched. And at which point it was hacked for 20 something million dollars. And at which point the blockchain of Ethereum decided to roll back, which is not a thing a blockchain should ever do. And that's when Ethereum lost all credibility, if it had any at all, with the people who uh, like decentralized technology. Because if a blockchain can just decide to roll back like that and do that, how is that decentralized? Yeah. So basically, you know, with the, the, the beauty of Cordal that I love about it is this idea of that there is incentive to run a node. And while we talked a little bit about Bitcoin with the mining, you know, incentivization, how that's really become mass kind of become an industry unto itself. The idea, you know, with 2.0. So in the 2.0 revolution, there was this idea of proof of stake, which was trying to solve that issue of proof of work with the centralization or with the, the idea that you had of like running a ton of energy and huge mining farms. The idea with proof of stake was it's bringing it back to the individual node by staking coin. The problem with that is that it really tied to the whole greed aspect of ICOs and like buying coin. And then it got centralized because it just meant if you have a lot of coin, you have more weight on the decision. So it really just gave all the power forever to those that have the most coin where with cordal it's this minting idea right so the idea is it's all based on time how much time you put on the network running the network as a node um proving so, yourself i like to say i like to say yourself. you're just proving yourself a legitimate user you're not someone in there trying to cause problems you're not someone in there you know you're just proving that you're there that you have a legit copy of the chain that's synced 
and that you're online. That's all. And it verifies that every five blocks that the people are online. Yeah, yeah. So it's really a much more, you know, democratic idea and very simple too. It's almost just like a BitTorrent idea, right? Where you're just running your node. And, it's supposed um, to be that way. That was the idea that Satoshi created. Everybody was supposed to be mining on their own computer. So we took that idea and uh, gave it a way to work without having to need proof of work. Yeah. So the way the consensus works as of now is that as everybody's minting, uh, blocks are basically, you know, found or signed by, it's kind of a randomization where preference is given to higher levels. So right now we're calling kind of the launch, like the Cortress, where the founders are really, really protecting it from attacks. And someone could see that as like a centralization. But the idea is that centralization is eroding every day as other people are joining and being incentivized to join to get a share of the, of the coin um, by minting. And over time, uh, as everybody proves themselves, then it will be more and more distributed and, and stronger and stronger. And people are thinking about this the wrong way too, right? Think about it more like this. Uh, the founders are only there in the beginning to provide more security because they are the ones who sign more blocks because they're basically the big miners on the network, right? And the only thing that they have more influence in is being the ones who sign the block more often so that you can be guaranteed that someone trustworthy is signing the blocks when the network is small. Once the network grows and more people level up, the, the founder's influence in signing blocks diminishes. So you can separate the two things of block reward and block signing right? So block signing is important for the security of the chain because if a, if a bad actor is a block signer and he can sign a couple blocks in a row, we've already talked about there's, there's an attack there that can take place, right? So because of that, you need to make sure that the block signer is given importance. And we have separated the block signer from the block reward. And the block reward happens to every mentor, every block, no matter what. So whoever signs it, it doesn't matter. So if you're a legitimate user, you really shouldn't give a shit about who is signing the block. It doesn't matter who is signing the block. Just know that we've built the system in a way that in the beginning when it's a weaker network and it's more potential for it to potentially be hacked, uh, the founders are gonna be the ones who are signing the majority of the blocks. Once everyone levels up and gets up past level five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, then the distributed signing is more distributed as well. Right now, it still is distributed. There are other people who are block signers, but the, the people who sign the blocks the most are the founders. Same idea with the founder rewards. Now, they're separate things still, but the founder rewards start out as getting the leftover percentages from the people in the level groups that are not there, right? The highest level that anyone can start with is level five. And the reason they would start with that is because they forged on the Quora chain and we, were, we agreed a long time ago that if you forged on the Quora chain, the amount of blocks you forged will then forge you a level on Quora, on, on Quartal so that you don't get uh, all these forged blocks on Quora that's gonna be a chain that's no longer used uh, for nothing, right? So people who have proven themselves on the Quora chain were given a chance to get a pre-level on the court chain. So they did that fine. So the highest level right now that exists is level five, right? So everyone up to level five exists, one, two, three, four, and five. 
anyone above level five, right now there's no one who's level six, level seven, level eight, level nine, or level 10, which is the, the max level. So until there are people in every level tier that gets rewarded, so one and two, three and four, five and six, seven, nine and 10 are each level tiers that get a reward, a percentage of the chain's reward, until every single one of those tiers is filled up with people. So until someone gets to level 10, the first level 10 or nine, sorry, someone gets to level nine, they hit that, that highest level tier, then the founders no longer get those extra rewards that were going to them. So the founders rewards start high and diminish out. It's the and, opposite of Bitcoin in that way. Right. So the founders are getting rewarded for being founders. And the only people who are founders are people whom without those people, the chain would not be live. Those are the only people who are founders. So the founders are legitimately the founders of the platform. And because of all the work that they've put in over the last almost seven years in concepts and so much effort that went into building this thing, they get a little bit more reward in the beginning. Then as more people fill up the level tiers, their reward goes down, everyone else's reward goes up and we're hunky dory. We're back to like, we have no more influence than anybody else at that point. So. Uh, once the system gets to a point where it's strong and stable, the founders are no longer as necessary. So they are no longer rewarded as much and they're no longer given as much priority in signing blocks. So they're just anybody else with the name founder tied to them. Yeah. And there's a, you know, in order for this to have value in the real world, we need users. So the founders are motivated to sponsor and bring people in because we need adoption. And so it's a self-balancing mechanism. It's really quite brilliant. Yeah, that's the one thing we didn't really it. address yet, but the, the sponsorship, that was an idea I came up with, by the way, uh, was to uh, sponsor someone so that they can start proving themselves in order to become a level one mentor. Since the mentors are extremely important, they're the ones who run the chain. So they're like the core processing nodes. Mentors are extremely important. So we need to realize their importance and go, okay, so how do we say this is a really important thing? We don't want just anybody to be able to come in and dominate this and, and buy a billion miners or whatever and take up a huge portion of the, of the network without any sort of uh, reason they shouldn't, right? So we say, okay, then we allow anybody who is level five or higher or a founder, obviously, to sponsor the creation of a new minting account. So you can't just come in and become a mentor. And that's something that people have bitched about, but I don't care. You sponsor someone you know, because you can only sponsor five people at a time. You sponsor someone that you really know that you're like sitting next to at your house, sponsor them. And that's how the base level of this network will be created. Once it gets large enough where there's a billion different level five people and there's so many sponsorships going on, whatever, it doesn't matter at that point. But right now it's important and imperative that we build a very strong foundation because everything needs a strong foundation. So that's what the whole point of phase one of the launch is, is to plant the seed in people's minds, get their ideas flowing with what this network can be and to literally grow the network itself and to make each mentor be a real person, a person that's known by someone who was sponsored by someone to create that opportunity for them to be a processor on the network and earn from that. So it's imperative that we only sponsor people that we trust. We only sponsor people that we know, and we don't just willy-nilly sponsor anybody. And so I, I will never, ever budge on my thoughts on that. Like people have gotten on my case about, oh, not just anybody can get in. 
no, not just any bot can get in. Not just any dude looking to cause problems can get in. Yeah, you can get in. If you have a will to get in, you're going to get in eventually. You're going to prove yourself to one person or another, and you're going to get a sponsorship. You just have to put in effort, and that's what people don't like. They want everything to be handed to them, and I say, <laughs> F that. Well, that's the problem with society these days. Well, this is something I've been working on forever with the proof of experience concept that we developed, you know, with Karmaship is like, how do you get around the whole bots and like, uh, you know, um, fake, fake, you know, scammers and stuff. It's like proving you're real. And so this is just a way to prove that you're a real person with good intentions through. And to bring up the argument that I know is inevitable that everybody goes to from this point is, well, what if somebody decides to sponsor themselves and then level those accounts up and sponsor themselves? and do it again and do it again sure they could do that we will have other things that are they're going into the code base that will prevent that from being able to be possible but right now as the new network that it is yes that is a potential thing and that is the only potential game that i have ever come across in the platform so yes there is that potential but you have to realize how long does it take okay first he has to get a sponsorship and he has to become level one then he has to become level five before he can issue sponsorships of his own. That time frame right there is huge. And by the time he does that, a whole bunch of more legitimate people will have also done that. And the legitimate network will be growing at a much faster rate because it's more people that can do five people at a time. He won't ever be able to get a, a foothold in order to make an attack. So I think it's a null point. Okay. Well, and then so the other beauty of the leveling system is this idea of voting. So when, you know, I know this is down the line, but um, Russ was asking how many nodes will be needed before we have voting or is that the right question or is it more like how many blocks down? No, the line? it's not the right question. Um, it's more like uh, when will the voting system exist? And my, my answer to that is as soon as the trade portal exists. Okay. But the, so, the trade portal is the main focus right now. Like uh, growing the network and building the trade portal are the two things that we need to do right now. As soon as that's done, yes, the voting system is the next thing that I want to start implementing. So the beauty of the voting system, and this kind of relates to the, some of the problems with Bitcoin, is Bitcoin's core, Bitcoin core, which is the, the actual kind of protocol, um, which is, you know, is centralized in a bit. There are developers who work on that and it's, you know, via the consensus of the miners and the nodes that they agree that this is Bitcoin, um, that it's pretty immutable. In other words, if a new technology like quantum computing comes out that can somehow, you know, quickly defy the, um, the encryption of it's like one in like 13 trillion or whatever to beat a hash, but somehow let's say quantum computing makes that a joke. And now Bitcoin's got serious issues. It has to go through a ton of, of um, you know, consensus hard issues forks. to fix hard forks and stuff. The beauty of this like voting system is that you we can use the voting system to make changes to the network, to the network design. So yeah, right? we've, we've basically taken the same idea that Bitcoin has is like the miners. They're the ones who get the, the say because they're the ones who are running the network, right? But we say, okay, yeah, kind of, but that's not really what's going on because there's a bunch of like greedy miners who are just like buying a bunch of machines just so that they can dominate and make as much money as possible. They're not really caring about the network. They're not even running a full node. They don't give a shit. So instead of that, we say the people who have actually been running full nodes and proving themselves to the network and thus have a level that has gone up. And then they say, now I'm level five. I've been doing this for a long time. Don't mess with me. I'm a mentor, right? Those people 
because they're obviously real people. They've been online, have been proving themselves online for that long a period of time, and they've been signing blocks and doing what mentors do and using their computer to do that. They are real. They get a higher vote because they've been proving themselves, right? And so not not you can vote as any account, and I think newbies, I'm still trying to decide if I want to give level zeros any vote at all. I don't know, and we can decide that in the community and figure out what we think we want to do there. But I was kind of thinking, yes, they get a vote, but it kind of counts as like a quarter of a vote or something. Uh, and when, so and when you say I, it's not like you're the decision maker. Let's right. No, I, yeah, I'm, yeah. When I say <laughs> I, I'm just talking about ideas. I'm not like uh, I, a lot of the ideas are not mine. A lot of the ideas are, are other people's ideas that I've taken and I'll give everybody credit for whatever they did. Like I'm not trying to take credit from anyone or anything like that or say that it's all me that's doing anything because it's definitely not all I feel like I did was make a couple people talk. So, um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I'm not ever saying like, oh, this is my shit because honestly, that's the wrong, wrong mentality to have. Nobody owns Quartal. Nobody. I don't care whether you think I do. I don't. Uh, it's it, yeah. That, that's another thing that's been driving me nuts. And people are like, oh, you must own it. No, no one owns Quartal. Everyone owns Quartal. That's it. Like, yeah. Yeah, and so there's no corporation behind Quartal. There's no ownership. There's no, no and, CEO. And just because my company is selling the devices that are also open source down to the hardware level, you can go down and buy one and build one yourself and we'll tell you exactly how and give you our image for our custom kernel to do it. But yes, my company is the one who's building and selling the Cortector. So I need to put like a notice on the website or something because people are asking me about that too. But yes, my company is doing one thing, building devices that anyone could build and selling cool ones. Yeah. And what we'll do is we're going to, we're, we talked about this having the, uh, all and every dollar that has come in has gone to development. Just FYI. Yeah. So there's squashing all these rumors that I'm hearing that are driving me insane. So, and we'll, you know, as keep in mind, I, the one thing I want to stress the community is like, this is a truly decentralized project. Yes. It's literally people doing this mostly out of the, their own passion if to see the this devs happen. were not my brothers and have been through a bunch of shit with me and like just were homies there's no way in hell this would be done because i didn't pay them anywhere near what they were worth even though i've put well over what three four hundred thousand dollars into this like i don't even know anymore so much money uh but i've not paid them anywhere near what they're worth these guys are top of the line developers they're worth fucking way more than i can pay them right now like so if they didn't believe in the concept and didn't believe that after the launch that their founder account was going to make them money why would they be doing this like i don't know it just it, it irks me when people are like well devs, talking about the devs payments like why does that even matter i've done this all out of my own pocket to make sure that this platform could get built for everyone like and i'm not gonna make any money and i'm actually negative in my bank accounts right now until the trade portal's live just like everybody else so yeah, yeah. well putting that all aside i think it's important for people who want to know more go to cordal.org um i'm gonna work with uh, i made the new how-to page it's it's much simpler than it was i've tried to simplify everything as much as possible but we need to go over that a little more yeah and there's a lot of work to be done for adoption. Like I, it was hard for me to get a node running on my Mac. It's like, it's, it's hard for me to focus on the website though, because I know it's going to be rebuilt on top of Quartal eventually. So I'm like, it's temporary, but I have to think more in the moment. I'm not very good at that. And quickly, let's talk about that. So one of the most important things with Quartal, and this is the thing that down the line will actually help, will, what Alpha Vedic is really excited about as a community and what a lot of practitioners I know in alternative medicine, alternative truth movements are really excited about is the idea of this decentralized web hosting. 
that Cordal is going to be focused on, which could be its yes. core functionality if you want to explain well, that's, that. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, okay, so Cordal's original concept was to be the trade portal. That's why its name is Cordal. It's a P backwards. Get it? It's a P. It's a Q. It's a Cordal. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so that was the original concept behind Cordal was a trade portal. But as time progressed, I wanted to launch Cora 2. That would be the infrastructure part, right? But then we decided, well, why not just make it all one platform? So we, we ended, just ended up making everything, the concepts that I was going to put into Cora 2, into Cordal, and they all became Cordal. So now Cordal is meant to be infrastructure in all aspects of the word, right? So it's a network. It's a server farm. It's all the stuff that's required to run the internet, right? And instead, it's run on every, every single individual node device that's running on the network, right? So we've taken out all of the server farms. We've taken out all of the, uh, the centralized nonsense and put it into the hands of the people. So the people are now running the server farms, basically, by running whatever device they want, as small as this thing right here, which is one of the devices that I've been building on behalf of my company and selling uh, on behalf of Cordal, uh, the Cortector, which is, as you can see, pretty damn small. And this is the Gen 1 device, uh, which is built off of a uh, Orange Pi Prime. Um, and this is meant to be a minting node. It is meant to be a, uh, a local service provider. It gives you like local services like data backups and stuff like that for your network. It'll do media service for your local network for your house. It'll also do a tour gateway. So you have a gateway to uh, like a free VPN that you can use to get by things like that, get through the great firewall of China. Da, 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 da. So it's also a web server. It does a ton of stuff, right? But it's also meant, this main focus is to be a minting node on the network takes five watts, five volts, three amps. Takes nothing. I can run it on a solar panel in the backyard if I felt like it. So this thing here is the idea that the entire world can run on little tiny things like this instead of servers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and Bear, we got to get you one of those. Like yeah, I got know. every everyone who's on the team. I'm gonna uh, make sure everybody's taken care of. Yeah, so Bear, the idea with that is you'll plug that in and that'll be your new router and that'll allow you to just easily run your own uh, node. And, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and sponsor you. So you can and, be a minister, uh, you don't have to run a computer all the time. You don't have to yep. run anything that takes a bunch of power. This thing is, you can yeah. run it off a USB port. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, you know, we're out of time now, but uh, some other time I want to entertain more of the applications beyond crypto just for uh, communications yeah. hosting and because I, I have a lot of uh, need for that myself. Eventually, and, and like everything will be better. possible. Right now, we still are in uh -huh. phase one, so we're just growing the network, initial network. We need to make sure the network's strong before we build stuff on it. So I, I made sure to do uh, everything, and not just me. When I say I, I mean all the collected ideas between everybody uh, that came out into the paper that I wrote. Um, we are trying to make something different here. We are trying to make something that's built correctly. We are trying to make something that is done every step of the way, the best possible way. And yes, that has caused me to be broke and stressed and annoyed in a lot of different times and, and scammed out of a bunch of different stuff because of things I was trying to do. But whatever, man, it's worth it. We're here now. It's launched. The Genesis is live. We're 25 days into the live network of Portal, which is like my life's work coming to fruition. And it's so exciting. And for people who are thinking that I'm going to disappear, like, you really think I'm going to disappear now after all the shit that I've been through before? And now finally, the thing that I've been building forever is up. I think I'm going to yeah. go anywhere now. It makes no sense. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's a, that's a great way to end it on this. I mean, it's live. It's, uh, 
you put years of your life into this and the team. Um, I want to give a yeah, shout not out. Not just me, tons of people, man. Like, yeah, I want to give a shout out. The 15 founders. Founders. <laughs> exactly. And I definitely want to give a shout out to Kat, who's just yes. absolutely is crushed it. Amazing. And, um, and uh, Tyga and LOTW. Uh, LOTW and just all these guys who have just put so much of their life into this for very little pay. Thank you so much. It's going to really. Oh, one other thing I wanted to point out too. Just, yeah, just then, we got, to say, then we're going to close this out. Okay, so in Discord, there's a structure on the left-hand side with the names and lists of people and shit. That is not by any means a structure on Cordal. Okay, yeah. there is no uh, admin on Cordal. There is no unless it's an admin of a group on Cordal that he created the group. Like everything is different on Cordal, and you guys will all start seeing as soon as we stop using these old crappy platforms and switch over to the better one. Yeah, exactly. So Cordal will be able to have its own Discord, its own Telegram, its own Twitter. Um, and that for me is the most exciting thing about it. Like and whether we'll be- we partner with Discord and get actual Discord to come over onto Cordal or we build our own, which would only take a week or so. And we've already finished with most of it in QChat. Uh, it doesn't matter. Exactly. So that's really exciting. And for Alpha Vedic, we see ourselves porting off Patreon and using Cordal to do our own decentralized co-op that way. Streaming and stuff we can do before the data storage is live. So we can do a lot of stuff before we have the actual data storage. So we can all talk about that later, but I know we're running cool. out of time. But yeah. Okay. Hey well, guys, what? just uh, I want to thank both of you. Uh, I learned uh, tons today. I followed about Glad. 75% of it. I, uh, it raised uh, a whole bunch more questions. So we need to get back and, uh, and uh, there's just so yeah, much. Absolutely. More I, I think, I think so we I've should do also this studying your site here. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, I'll answer any yeah. questions that you have. Like I'm an open book. Well, this is yeah. the thing, Bear. I want to just make sure we get you going um, minting ASAP. So just so you're in, you're in the network early and you're an early adopter. Because as you know, with anything, like if you're an early adopter with any major uh, disruptive technology, it's a win-win. So, think of this as being an early adopter of the internet and every company that's built on top of it. <laughs> well, hey, guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you guys enjoyed the chat. Uh, I want to give a shout out to John McAfee for joining us today, of course. And I'll send him all the info. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold him to tweeting hopefully about it. Hopefully cleared some stuff up for people and hopefully got some uh, clarity. Yeah. So uh, thanks everybody for joining us today. If you enjoyed this, please give us a thumbs up. If you're watching this on YouTube, share this, please subscribe, follow us on dlive.tv forward slash alphavedic. You can go to alphavedic.com and join us there on our mailing list and see everything where we're at. Uh, We are on telegram t.me forward slash alphavedic. Join us there. And then on our website, we have our link to our discord server and everything so and vedic um, is v-e-d-i-c yeah alpha vedic a-l-f-a v-e-d-i-c like my hat here uh and then of course you can find out everything about cordal at q-o-r-t-a-l dot org cordal.org um as you'll see it is a truly um decentralized uh, platform right now the website obviously will be all shiny and great looking as i you know will help you guys and stuff. I'll build the final one on Cordal itself, guys. Like I'm not worried about the damn website right now. It's it's not decentralized yet. Who cares about it? Exactly. So, um, but go to Cordal.org. We've got a wiki there, an FAQ, and you can download uh, the. Uh, we're not even calling it a wallet, just the UI, the user interface for yeah, the system. The UI and the core. And the core. 
to run your node. And then, um, you know, uh, any more information, you can just jump in our telegram, t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic, and we will uh, inform you with anything you need to know. So thanks everybody for joining us on DLive today, for listening to the podcast. Thanks. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you so much, Jason, for taking the time today and, uh, and Dr. Lando as well. And um, everybody thanks, have Dr. a- Thanks, Jason. Have a wonderful day. Thanks.